0: going on, everyone? Welcome to the Living Streams Church Podcast. My name is Brandon, and today I'm joined by two very special guests, Dr. Don Wooster and uh, Pastor Kurt Cotter. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Good to be here. So as you guys know, we're a part of a series right now called The Other Hours. And so um, in this series, we're dealing with issues that pertain to the 167 hours, or however many hours a week you spend outside of church, and uh, so the first topic we're dealing with is is relationships. And so both of you guys have both spoken at Living Streams in the last couple weeks, and so I really just want to dive in a little bit deeper on the topic of. Relationships. So this morning, I, I actually rewatched uh, both of your sermons on our YouTube channel <laughs> to kind of refresh my mind. You know what I mean? And uh, I was really struck by the different topics that you chose. So Don, yours was titled um, "Living with uh, Imperfect People." Living with ourselves and other imperfect other imperfect people. people. And yeah. then, Kurt, you were dealing with the topic of humility. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So I guess I'm, my first question is why. Out of all the different angles that you could come at, as far as relationships, which is this huge, huge over-encompassing topic, how <laughs> how did you decide to deal with
1: the specific topics that you chose? Uh, you want to? Okay. Well, I I had the exact thought you just had. Like, okay, wow. So we're gonna take uh, this this topic and distill it down into about a thirty minute. Um, right kind of message and I had the exact same thought of like going well, where in the world do you jump in and splash around with that um, I think for me um, and I, I I listened to Kurt's um, message too which I thought was great um, that the relationships are so much the foundation and the springboard and that our life's about as good as our relationships and it's such a global thing but it's such a personal thing at the same time right. And I think, uh, the reality of kind of going, I show up everywhere I go and I'm really aware that, um, the work that I have to keep doing to stay clear flows into whatever relationship I'm in. And, uh, I thought probably when I was younger, I thought eventually I'm going to get so mature and so clear and I'm going to arrive and be finished in some way. And as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that's not really true. Exactly. I'm still sorting it out. And so I think for me to just going, hey, this is a lifelong process of figuring out what's going on in me um, and the other imperfect people that I live with. And so I think that's where I kind of decided to jump in.
0: Totally. Yeah, I I love a line that, that David brought up in his first message on the other hours. And he said, God doesn't want to make you good at church. He wants to make you good at life. And I think that that's such a great such a great line. I think that it's something we could all really learn from. I think we may be spending one or two hours at, at most in church a week. And I think the majority of the messages we hear on Sunday mornings are kind of revolving around this idea of a spiritual life. And I think I, I love the way that you address that topic and basically I know you just said I want to arrive, I want to show up every single place that I go, and I want to be able to be myself and be the best version of myself for the people that I'm engaging with. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's so important for us to realize that all of life is spiritual. you know. And it's not about um, us dealing with this kind of segmented portion of our life that's spiritual, but it's realizing that every single time we engage with another person, it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual engagement. It's a powerful experience where you can encounter God. And so I'm really glad that you brought that, brought that point up. And, and Kurt, I, I love the way you brought the idea of humility into, into relationships. Could you just talk about that for a minute?
2: Yeah, I mean, thank you. I just, um, for me, I was just thinking about, you know, I do a lot of counseling, a lot of marriage counseling. And um, I see two things that I'm usually helping couples do is, Either build a good, strong foundation for their marriage, or to restore a broken relationship, and um, and so I was thinking about what is just one key, one element that I've learned that helps helps to do that, whether you're building or repairing, and uh, and one of the things I noticed with a lot of a lot of people in any kind of relationship is. Many times in order to, whether you're going to resolve conflict or or build a relationship, is that a change has to happen. Right. And change doesn't happen without, most of the time without repentance. Um, and so I shared my anger story um, because there was an example of where I needed to change in order to restore health to my relationship. And so it took humility. It took, you know, the grace of God and uh, in order to find grace humble hearts find grace that's so good kurt yeah i i
0: i want to dive into your story on on anger at some point during this conversation that we have but before we do that i think um i would really like to kind of address this idea of what relationships really mean i think that oftentimes we kind of narrow that down to to just couples and i think um I got married five months ago, so I'm now I'm in that category, and I feel like it's like oh, finally there's sermons that are actually addressing me, right? Um, but up until up until a few months ago, I really did feel isolated sometimes whenever um, the topic of relationships came up because it so often is seen in that marital context, and so um, during this conversation, I really would like to address that because I think that's super important. I know that both of you really specialize on on marriage and dealing with that relationship specifically. But I think that a lot of these principles that we're, we're talking about, they apply to anybody. Yeah. You know, I, I know what you're talking about, Don, with dealing with yourself and dealing with self-awareness and working on the life um, inside before you can ever deal with the relationships you have with other people or talking about humility, um, Kurt. Like These are things that you don't have to be in a marriage relationship in order to apply. Yeah. So um, I would like to talk about that, that idea of community. Um, Don, you said a, a really amazing line, and I, I, I posted it on Instagram, and I think a few people have asked me about it, like, what, what exactly does that mean? You said that we were um, called into life out of community and for community. Could you just elaborate on that, on that phrase a little bit?
1: Yeah, I was thinking um, the verse in Genesis 126, which struck, has always kind of struck me as um, let let us make man in our image, right. um, after our likeness. That this presentation that uh, that there's a plurality that the the Trinity um, design and um, relational component of God that um, has always been a community. Right. And that uh, when I think of the fact that we're birthed in God, we're designed by God, we're created by God, that we really come out of a community. Totally. Um, It's not an individual entity, um, but it's a community that exists and has always existed and that shaped us and formed us and placed us here. Mm -hmm. And I think because we were birthed in that, there's something in our souls that is just always longing for that, that longing to belong. Mm -hmm. And until and unless we, we connect in a community, we're really not home. We, we really are disconnected from something, um, and I think we were birthed for that. I think that, that we came from there, and in a sense, we're equipped to live there and to create it, mm. um, and that's home. And um, we, we're never gonna feel really at peace. We're never gonna feel a full joy if we can't reconnect, I think, on that uh, very foundational level.
0: Totally. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that that point up about our our longing, the longing of our souls being connection. Yeah. And, and Kurt, you brought that up in, in the beginning of your message where you said the foundation of every relationship is connection. You brought that yeah. um, into the place of unity. Yeah. Um, so so how does that relate? You've said um, another line in your sermon which I really loved where you said if your relation, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or if that relationship's not intact, you're never going to be able to connect. Horizontally, if you don't have that vertical component. And so if you wouldn't mind, just kind of address that issue of your relationship with Jesus and how that affects the relationships you have with, with other people.
2: Well, I think um, the idea that, you know, the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, that's all about relationship. Right. And it's, it's in the loving and receiving of the love of Jesus that, I mean, we, we draw from the resources to be able to give to anybody else. We really don't know love until we know him. And right. so we draw from his, his power and his, his grace. I mean, it even says that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit who's given to us. Mm-hmm. So, so we need him. And, it, and, you know, there's another verse that says that, um, if we don't love man who we do see, how can we love God who we don't see. Right. It works both ways. We learn about relationship through our relationship with God. And, um, and so, yeah, to me, um, unity is super important if, um, in building relationships, too. It, just like, like you said, Donna, so well put, you know, with community. Um, to me, unity is really difficult in relationships, at times, it's it's difficult because people are so different from each other. Mm-hmm. To be able to have diversity and unity at the same time in a relationship and give people the freedom to be themselves, but to be able to, to walk together in that unity is a powerful thing. And I you know, use that verse in um, Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's 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 beautiful and it's there. God commands a blessing, but it takes work. Yeah. Right. It takes work to stay in unity. Whether you're married, whether you're, it's a work relationship. Whether you're dealing with a boss, um, whoever it is, it takes work to be able to connect and be in unity with someone very much different than you. Yeah,
1: I think I think too the uh, the command that we're to live in harmony with one yeah. another, yeah. and it's interesting because. Um, For harmony, you have to have different notes, right? Um, If you have the same note, you can't harmonize, right? And I think that God has asked us not only individually as couples, but as a community to live in harmony with one another. And if you think about an orchestra Mm -hmm. with all of these amazing different instruments and they make all these different sounds and you kind of go as different as they all are, if they're tuned together. Yeah. The collective sound is more than any of the individual instruments. Wow. You get this full, brilliant, overwhelming sound because they're tuned together. Mm -hmm. If they're not tuned together, what you really have is a lot of noise. Right. You have a lot of very disconcerting noise, the same instruments, right? But when they're not tuned, they're competing. They're kind of going over each other and you kind of go, the fact that we're different and people go, well, the problem is that we're different. Right, and you know, go. <laughs> an orchestra is full. A choir is full of different voices. Marriages and communities and friendship groups are full of different people. Different is not the problem,
2: mm.
1: right? That they're not tuned together. Um, that's the problem. But but difference gives us capacity. Difference gives us expression. Difference gives us richness. Um, and so to say that's the problem. Um, I would say, well, how we're tuning to one another. Mm. If we're not doing that, we can we can create a lot of noise. But, but I think we have a, a default. Well, we couldn't get along. My friends were too different than I were, and we're different in this relationship. And you go, yeah, that's capacity. Right. Yeah, that's that's a gift. That's not a problem.
0: Wow. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that image that you're kind of bringing of of this orchestra and learning how to to play in sync with other people. And I think that that's, while it's kind of this abstract idea, I think it's intensely practical. And I think that both of you brought up a lot of really amazing practical points in your sermons about how to engage relationally in a way that's healthy, in a way that's beneficial, in a way that creates that harmony. And so so Don, you brought up um, the idea of the primary attribution error um, <laughs> in your sermon. And I know that's kind Some of Some a...
1: people particularly, <laughs> uh, thanked me afterwards and sort of a I to go, yeah, that made me really uncomfortable. So thank you. I think they were
0: right. <laughs> I know. I feel like a lot of people in the room were kind of scratching their heads at that one. They're just like, Whoa, way to pull out a, a major, uh, psychology term right there. Like <laughs> I, I majored in communication in college and so I was like, Oh, I remember that. Like, you know what I mean? But, yeah. um, would you mind diving into that idea? Because I think it's really important for us to understand, um, that what happens inside of us Yeah is uh, it affects the way that we engage with other people. And I think that Gius that brings it up in his parable about uh, you know, deal with the, the speck in your own eye before you yeah. can ever try to remove a log from someone else's. Yeah. And I think that we get that backwards so much of the time.
1: Yeah, I think, I think our uh, factory setting is that we're very, um, we have this natural sort of thing that we, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. I, we give ourselves, I give myself benefit for all my intentions, right? So, well, I didn't intend that. I didn't mean that. That's not what I was trying to do. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm quick to give myself a lot of credit that I didn't intend to do that. Now, when someone else does something to me and I'm offended, I don't give them any credit for their intentions. Right. I hold them 100% accountable for their behavior. I don't know what you were trying to do. But what you really did was thump me upside the head. Mm-hmm. So I tend to give other people zero credit for their intentions and absolutely hold them accountable for their behavior. But somehow in the self-deluded, self-committed, self-aholic default of myself to go, wait a minute, they're accusing me of being kind of whatever. And that, that primary attribution error is a little, psychological in nature, just says that is a recognized, human, measurable, predictable thing. You don't have to be a special individual to kind of go, it sort of spreads all the way across us, to go, you do something bad and I'm gonna say, that's your character and don't give me any excuses. I do something bad and I go, I had a bad day, can you please give me a little grace? Mm -hmm. The fact that we have two different systems going on sort of goes right by us. And I think that's—I think the Bible just calls that kind of a self-oriented, self-defensive, self-defining system. And you know, some social scientists have come up with a little longer term. Right. Um, But I think I think it's just in sync with what I read and what I experience in my own life.
0: Absolutely. So, so I guess the question is: since this is undeniably a reality of human beings, right? We we just have this default setting where we're automatically assuming the worst about other people and the best about ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) And how do you overcome that i mean I, I would I'd welcome both of you to chime in. What do you do in order to overcome this this bias which says that I'm always right and you're always wrong?
2: Well one of the things that that we both shared in our message was this beautiful definition of God's love in first Corinthians thirteen you know love is patient, love is kind it it's it's not selfish right um it it Keeps no record of wrongs, um, which is really tough. <laughs> um, you know, it's not boastful. It's not rude. Um, but it's to me, those are practical things. If we're going to really connect with people, um, we've got to overcome this selfishness inside of us. Um, the other thing about, um, about God's love is it really does, it believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I, I mentioned in my message about the idea of believing all things, it's believing for the best in that person. Wow. It's yeah. drawing out the gold in that person. And that's, that's hard to do sometimes. Right. But it's God's love in us, he can help us to do it. We want others to do that in us, yeah. to believe for the best. Um, but, but, you know, the other thing is it's honoring. It's, um, you know, it doesn't talk down at people, it talks up to people. Yeah. So good. I think too, I think because God wants, I think God loves
1: great relationships. Mm-hmm. So in, in John two, Jesus made really good wine at the wedding and people have been drinking for a few days. So in some ways they go, why did you save the best until now? And I think it's because Jesus can only make good wine. Yeah. Like I just go, mm-hmm. I wouldn't make bad wine. I, I think he only knows how to make good relationships. Yeah. Like he goes, why would I want you just to drink the two-buck Chuck? I mean, why not have a great relationship? And I think a great relationship has to have freedom, Yeah. Wow. right? And he says, it's the truth that sets you free. When you know the truth, when you're up close and personal with the truth, when you let the truth penetrate you, when you get in bed with the truth, right? That word, you'll know when you know the truth, that gnosko is a, is a term of intimacy. Right? The Jewish idiom was, was a sexual term. When you have sexual relations, that's a yada yada, that's a ganosko. And he says, when you're that intimate with the truth, it'll set you free. Mm, wow. But that's stripped down, naked, in bed, wrapped in, being ravaged by the truth. Hmm. When you let the truth ravage you, you'll have a freedom. And the, the word truth, most of the time in the New Testament is the word reality. Yeah. What's really going on? What's the unvarnished, unspiritualized, unjustified truth? What's really going on? If we can get to what's really going on, we have this on-ramp to freedom, which is the best kind of relationship. And I have to tell the truth to me first. Mm -hmm. My ideal self is always selfless. And that's the version of me I would like to think is always in play, but scripture lets me know that I'm broken. And I'm dependent, and I hide my own sin, and I can't see it apart from the Holy Spirit. But my ideal self, my model self, would never do something like that. And I think that connection, I loved what Kurt said about humility, because I want to think of myself as a model person, as a finished person. And if I'm really honest, when I look at the Gospels, that's not what the Bible says, that I'm finished. He finished the work. I'm still receiving it, right? I don't have a certificate of, of completion. I have a certificate of incompletion, right? But that sense of being able to go, so what's going on with me? Oh my gosh. And I think even the idea of wanting to be a model, I know we looked at model homes several years ago before we bought our home, and the model homes were super impressive. I mean, they were flawless. The, the, the carpets, the, the the everything was amazing. There was a Coke can in the trash from the, I think the realtor. And here's the deal, my house would be awesome too if nobody lived there. Right. Like, it would be amazing. There wouldn't mm-hmm. be a stain where the dog threw up in the bedroom, there wouldn't be scratches when I moved the desk. I mean, but that we wanna be a model, and you know what, the, a model home is sterile. Nobody lives there, there's no real life. Mm-hmm. And relationships are real, and, and everything that's real is messy. Right. Everything that's real has the effects of real people and being able to go, you know, if we weren't model people but we were real people, we could have real relationships and those are better than some theoretical um, that we're dancing around or avoiding or not being honest with ourselves about what we're feeling or struggling with and we're not really, I think what Kurt said at the heart of it is that humility you can't get to real without humility. Yeah. yeah like absolutely. what he what he laid out as the on ramp, you can have all the education and all the tips and techniques and all the strategy and you can get loaded up with every seminar, but what Kurt talked about to go if you don't have the humility mm-hmm. to let that truth get to some new place in you, none of the counseling or the tips or the techniques do anything if, if what he talked about doesn't happen.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Don. I I I really feel like everything flows out of the heart of Jesus. When he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for, my, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. It's, the very heart of Jesus is gentle and humble. Yeah. And the more we, we take that yoke and we walk with Jesus and we truly know him, we really, I, I feel like relationships are so organic and God wants us to truly know the people we're relating with. Yeah. And we learn that from knowing his heart. And I feel like, um, I mean, to, to know the heart of Jesus and let it flow in our own life, it's really, um, I don't know, to me, to come to a place of, of really humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we start to experience the fullness of life. You know, it's uh, for Jesus to humble himself at the cross and became obedient on the cross and then got and to the death on the cross, and then for God to highly exalt him and give him a name that is above every name. That's what happens with humility, as you really experience your destiny. And in a relationship, I really feel that's what God's wanting to do. Um, The other thing I was thinking about was, um, we need one another in relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a a verse that says, um, hand cannot say to the eye, I have no need of you. Relationships in the body of Christ, in our marriages, we, we need one another, yeah. and we were not meant to be Lone Rangers, and, and we were meant to live in community, mm. but we, we need, a lot of times, the strength the other person has that's so different than us, we need that, and we were meant to do it together, and not to, not to try to do it all on our own, and to humble ourselves and say, I need what you have. Mm. and we're, we're both, we're interdependent. Yeah. We're not codependent. I'm not going to live a codependent relationship, but we have this flow of, of we both need each other. I've noticed that being married to my sweet wife of 39 years almost, um, it's, it's helped me be a better me, hmm. and, and it's because of her. It's because of being in a relationship with her. If I didn't, I would probably t- have turned into a grouchy old man. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know what? I, I think that's really true and significant. I think we have this cultural storyline that kind of tells us, uh, we have to be careful about union right. because yeah. we'll lose our true self. Yeah. And so we have such this strong aversion. We have such a strong coaching against that to go, you know, I have to protect myself, become myself, and so the idea of union or community of going oh my gosh what a violation to to be united with someone else and we've we've kind of kind of gone on this line that i can only become my true deep self by myself yeah which is again part of the storyline that says uh i i have to be by myself to become myself and i would say socially emotionally psychologically and spiritually that's just absolutely not true absolutely right yeah. and the idea that there's a unity that does not violate us but there's yeah. a unity that liberates us mm-hmm. there's a unity that christ or that kurt's talking about in christ that's got that humility and grace and mercy that allows us and cultivates us and i would say for 25 years of my wife with my wife she's growing me into me. (laughs) She got a little 10 inch, you know, houseplant tree (laughs) that was kind of going, that's all of me. I'm just not very developed yet. Mm -hmm. And she's been watering it and tending it and clipping it. And I'm, I'm over time becoming a fuller, richer version of myself, not because I'm by myself, but actually in, in a union, in a community, uh, where we are having that effect of we are growing one another up into the fullness of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the body, that's community. And at the end of the day, it's what we're all meant for. And it's what we're all lonely for. And it's what a lot of us are dying for because we don't have it.
0: Right. Yeah. Don, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. I. you hit so many of the points that I kind of wanted to go into just, just in that last um, little bit of conversation. I think, that you're so right that as a as a culture we're so focused on self and so focused on what i need and how to develop myself that i think that we oftentimes forget that this this thing called christianity that we're doing is is a communal activity it's something that god created as you said in the place of community and it's it's so cool to me that Jesus handed the church over to a group of people. It wasn't just one individual. It was a group and said, all right, this thing's gonna be messy for sure. And if you look at 2000 years of church history, it's been a mess, but it's been beautiful. And God's making a beautiful bride out of this history. And that's something that I've kind of been wrestling with recently is uh, as as a Western church, we're so caught up on the idea of, like, my relationship with Jesus is my own thing. It's something that I do off in the corner. I've got my own prayer closet. This is my time with the Lord. And it doesn't – we don't think that it's affected by the way that we deal with people around us. And I think uh, – I think we're really in a place where we're starting to return to that realization that you can't be a Christian on a desert island. It just doesn't work. Um, the whole idea of communion, it's, it, it takes place in community. It's that idea of we're joining ourselves with Christ and we can't exist as, a, as an independent body part over over here and apart from the body itself. And so I, I would, uh, yeah, I'm just so glad you, you brought that up. And I think, uh, Practically, what you're saying is that we feel the most full and the most ourselves when we're in community, but what happens when there's a disconnection? What happens when you're in a relationship or you're in a marriage or in a position like that, where there is disconnection and you feel that in your soul, like there's something, a part of you that's been pulled apart. How do you restore a relationship once it's been broken?
1: Well, I mean, I would say, I think that is part of the process. Um, you know, just about all the places in the New Testament where, where Paul talks about the body of Christ in First Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, mm-hmm. Ephesians 4. Right after that, he talks about conflict. Right. Because as soon as you get a group of different people together, you get all this capacity. And for no extra charge, you get conflict.
0: Right. right? Exactly. Because
1: the differences under Christ have this beautiful collaborative role. But on our own, there, it's just a collision. Uh, my different is different than your different, and that means one of us is wrong. Right, and I have a pretty good idea. I know who it is. Um, <laughs> right, and since you're not like me, you're defective. Mm. That can't be part of your design. That's obviously an error of some kind. I mean, so I think I think it's built in. I think community and marriage and good friendship exposes us in a way that. Um, we may not be prepared for. And I, that gets to the surface and the defensiveness. And um, I think, I think it's, that's what is supposed to bring us back to Christ for me to find a way to continue loving a person that has really not understood me Mm -hmm. and has really disappointed me and has maybe passed on some injustice in my life. My human heart has about a cup of mercy. And as long as you don't exceed that, I'm good. Um, but if you do something and you need a gallon of mercy, um, my human heart only has a cup. And I think by design, God says, you'll have to come to me. Wow. And I've got a river of mercy. But you'll have to come to me for the mercy, and that means humility. Mm-hmm. That means I can't love you and be with you unless I get to the source yeah. of love and the source of mercy we're not supposed to work apart from Christ, and we don't, so that I'm reminded that I need to get back to the source where I can get fresh mercy for myself and for somebody else, and apart from that, we just dissolve into this, you know, the right to be right and the right to do everything, and it's, it kind of turns into a civil war, but I think it's an invitation to kind of go, there's a source, and it's not us, we don't have everything we need to heal one another. And if you're in a community or relationship, the reality of going, I don't know how to heal you. And I'm pretty sure you don't know how to heal me. Mm -hmm. Maybe God's inviting us to draw something down from him for one another. Maybe that's the plan. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a way to expose our ongoing need not to exist like some well-behaved children apart from God, but to actually have him come into our relationship and animate it and connect it and heal it um, because we can do some basic stuff. But if you get really hurt or really disappointed or really violated in a relationship, your little first aid kit can't bind up a broken heart. Right. Right. Yeah. It can't open eyes. It, it can't release you from deep darkness. It can't give you a fresh start. Jesus said in Mark four, he came to do that. That was his ministry to bind up broken hearts. And I'll tell you, that's about my pay grade. It's not above his, but if we think we have everything we need to heal each other, hmm. uh, we don't. And if yeah. we think our partner or our friends can heal us, they're people. Um, but does God, if we, in humility, hmm. approach him and say we're broken and hurt and we need what you have for us to be together again? Um, I think what Kurt said, the, humili- the people with humility um, find God. Yeah. Absolutely. And without that, you're you're just bumping and clashing and making arguments about, you know, why you have the right to be right. Yeah, so yeah. good.
2: I mentioned in my talk about four couples that I know. Three that I I actually got to counsel and see and do the remarriage. They they were married, they divorced, and then they were restored and got remarried. Mm-hmm. And they're all four couples are doing phenomenal. They're very wow. healthy and they and they're. F- family in their life now and um the key for all four was they they had humble honest hearts with one another because a lot of times what happens when there's conflict somebody wants forgiveness right Absolutely. but usually for forgiveness to truly be real and genuine there needs to be repentance or else the behavior will just continue to change that was my story i had to come to a place of of real honesty and humility in order to to repent of my anger problem in order to really change because wow. I I was just going around the same old crazy cycle and doing the same thing and apologizing and apologizing and apologizing but I think to me it gives me a lot of hope to know mm-hmm. that that when hearts are truly humble and they really do they, they could even re- restore love that was that yeah. they felt was gone. One of, one of the things that fascinates me the most when I study couples is to see how love that seems like someone says, I just don't love you anymore. Hmm. And to see when there's this gentle, humble, 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love that's brought in, that's a decision and a choice, yeah. it can be restored. Wow. It can be brought to even a better place than ever mm-hmm. before. That is amazing to me. Yeah. And it's miraculous. But, um, but I, I think without repentance, um, it really, it it can't happen. Hmm. I think you just keep going. Yeah. Just have a bandaid on the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: think, you know, James, he says he has an interesting parameter for restoration. He goes, if we'll confess our sins to each other and we'll pray for one another, we will get sozoed. If Uh we, if we confess our sins to each other, and we pray for each other, we will get restored. Hmm. And we'll sometimes go, I think we'd get restored if we just had better communication. There's no promise of restoration in communication. Right. I think if we could just compromise, we'd get restored. There's no promise of restoration in compromise. Yeah. You know what, I think if we could just you know, kind of separate and get this thing and, and put, and there's, of all the things, communication and compromise and negotiation and the rest of that, There's no promise of restoration in any of those dynamics. And those might all be good tips and techniques and strategies. Mm -hmm. But until you kind of say, you know what, I need to come to you in humility and I need to be able to say to you, wow, I need to ask your forgiveness. um, Because I think I did something and I think it really caused damage to you. Mm -hmm. And I want to acknowledge that. And I want to give you permission to acknowledge that. And you know what? I wanna to get to a different place. I don't wanna keep doing that and asking you. I wanna do something different. Would you be able to forgive me? Could you release me because I'm guilty. And you have every right to hold on to that, but um, God asks us to ask forgiveness. Wow. And then I think that's a posture of total humility and vulnerability to go to someone and say, I blew it and I hurt you and I need to, to be different in this area. Could you forgive me and to look at a person like that and go, you know what? I do forgive you Mm. and I do release you. And to say to that person what Christ said to us, your debts have been forgiven. Your certificate of debt is canceled to, to reenact the gospel and to release a guilty person who's hurt you. Um, that is the gospel. Wow. And when we do the gospel to each other, broken things become whole. It's the only condition that broken things aren't just duct taped together. They're actually restored, Yeah. right? And it's not like, um, I have a friend who works with restored wood and he brings wood from all over the country, takes it to his his, uh, pl- his, pl- his factory in downtown and they do all this work. And, and uh, I remember the first time I went down to his mill and I looked at this wood and it's got, it's got graining and it's got holes and it's got, you know, all these irregularities to it, but it is beautiful. And I remember I told him, I go, Pete, I go, this wood is as good as new. And he goes, Oh, it's much better than that. <laughs> this is old wood with a new life. Yeah. Wow. This wood has been reclaimed.
0: Hmm.
1: This wood has been repurposed. This wood has been restored. This is much better than new. This is old wood with a new life. I go, brother, you're in the gospel business, (laughs) right? They kind of go, but I made all these mistakes and you made all these mistakes and we've heard and we've scarred each other. We go, yeah. What if we got reclaimed? What if we got renewed? What if the damage we did to each other became this new, beautifully, the risen Christ still has nail holes. His scars are beautiful now. Yeah. Right. His body is imperfect. The resurrected Jesus has the scars of the way he loved. Wow. They're part of the beauty. It's, it's better than new, right? And what Kurt's done with these couples is really lead them into a gospel, but we're dead. And you go, you were dead. And then Jesus showed up. right? And he's the ultimate yeah. wild card. And then all the rules change. Mm-hmm. It's too late. And Kurt goes, well, for us it is. But what if the Lord of life showed up? What if he spoke? And what if he just brought life back into your life?
2: Resurrection.
1: That's resurrection. (laughs) That's the core of our hope, right? So um, I think the work he's done and he does is beautiful because it's gospel work. It's Jesus. It's not just tips and techniques. Mm -hmm. It's Christ flowing in and making things alive and better. And that's, that's good stuff.
2: Right. You know, at the beginning, and when it comes to marriage the very core of it is a man shall love his wife uh, as Christ loved the church yeah all right and then and the wife responds as the church responds to Jesus with respect all right so so it's that's what it's all meant to be like anyway relationships are supposed to be a reflection of it of jesus and to be honest the gospel really is relevant to every relationship yeah. if it's ever going to work if it's ever going to be restored
0: wow it's so good i i love how you brought up this entire topic of of hope because i think that so many people when they look at their relationships they're hopeless you know and i think that coming into this series the reason why we decided to start with relationships and really deal with that first is because it's the most relevant to yeah. what you do the majority of your time. You know, like we yeah. may spend 40-50 hours a week working, we spend a couple hours at church, but the rest of the time and oftentimes during those other times we're we're engaged in relationship with other people. And so when there's brokenness, I think that people feel that a whole lot more and I think that they're, the temptation for despair is definitely there. And so my question to you both is, is on a practical level, um, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's in that place where they're, they're, they're in a relationship and they're, they're feeling that tension of, my relationship's broken, I want it to be restored, and they're in that place of humility already. Mm-hmm. What kind of steps do you take from there in order to experience this kind of reconciliation you're talking
2: about? Well, The, the book um, that we've been using for our online course um, mm-hmm. Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk. Um, Danny talks about um, kind of a technique. that's sort of a practical thing. And it's it's when a, when a couple is just really in that place where they're just going around and around and around and they're having an argument and they're having a fight. And what they realize is that they've lost their connection. Right. Their connection has been broken. And they have to come and stop and realize, even though it seems like they're... Their um, opinion is so important they need to stop and they need to restore the connection mm. before they can find the solution to the problem. That's good. and find the wisdom together and And so um, he he talks about using the five love languages from Gary Chapman. A lot of people have read the book mm-hmm. or heard the concept. And those those love languages fill each other's love tank and restore connection. It's a really good practical thing because then when you reapproach each other saying, you know what, this isn't worth dying on this hill. Mm-hmm. We our connection and our love for each other, we, we're committed to this marriage. We don't want to end it over this. Right. And then it, then they'll have more of a sound mind because usually they lose their mind when anger comes in or when they're you know, they start getting all heated up in an argument when they come back to their connection and then they go okay let's let's gently work towards some solutions let me be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger Mm -hmm. let me let me learn to maybe there's a compromise usually solutions require the c word compromise (laughs) there's a middle ground somewhere that you can meet at and 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 usually the problems to be honest even the ones people want to end it all on if someone else was going to go, really, it's over money, you know, it's over this problem, and it, and it's, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's not a, die, a hill to die on. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah, I would say too. I think that I think we have a general idea that we have to have consensus,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, to have unity. And I think sometimes we had a, a uh, my wife and I were having this discussion. I remember in our laundry room at one time, and she goes, "Hey, I really need this from you." And I listened and I go, hey, I really don't have that. And she goes, okay, well, what do you propose? And I go, is there any way I could talk you out of needing that from me? (laughs) And she thought about it and she goes, no, I really need that from you. And I go, so recap, you really need something. I really don't have it and I can't talk you out of needing it from me. She goes, yes. I go, I think we're stuck. Hmm. And she goes, I think we are. And I go, well, okay. I go, hey, uh," I put my arm around her and I go, Jesus, it's the Woosters. we're stuck. My sweet wife needs something I don't have. We don't know what to do, can you help us? Hmm. Amen. And then I go, well, uh, what do you wanna do while we're stuck? And she goes, you wanna make some popcorn and watch Netflix? (laughs) And I go, yeah, let's do that. We made some popcorn, we watched Netflix, we go, we're stuck. I don't know how to find the thing you need, Mm. and you don't know how not to need it. We're stuck. Hey, God, we're stuck. It's the Woosters. We're going to go make popcorn and watch Netflix. We're not enemies Mm, Mm, because we're stuck. We're not enemies because we don't have a consensus. We did a thing five years later. We're on conflict resolution, and someone asked us to come up with an example. And I go, What was the thing? What was that thing in our laundry room that you really, really needed? And she goes, What was the thing you didn't have? Neither one of us could remember it. So I don't know. What happened? Mm-hmm. But I'd say this, our decision to go, I wanna be with you while we're stuck. Yeah. yeah, And I'm gonna ask God to help us, but here's the deal. I don't need to have a consensus to say, I wanna be with you. Mm-hmm. I wanna figure this out with you. I wanna get to a better place, and I don't know what to do about this, but I wanna be with you. Yeah. That I'm clear on. I just don't know what to do about this issue. Yeah. And I think, I think what Kurt was saying, and Danny would say to go, yeah, I'm, my decision's to be with you. I don't know what to do about this. Jesus, we're stuck. I thought we'd make some popcorn watch little <laughs> Netflix. I love that.
2: that. That's so good. So good. Kurt, is there anything you'd like to, well, to add? When Don mentioned prayer, I mean, one of the statistics that, that I've heard on a couple of polls was the divorce rate f- for couples who pray together hmm. on a regular basis besides praying over their meals. What do you think it would be? It's less than 1%. Wow. And I would say you stop... And you cry out together, I mean, and you pray. I, I, I'm amazed at how many couples do not pray. Yeah. And, um, but it's, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Because you're inviting God's presence, hmm. God's wisdom, God's heart, and his love to bring solutions that you might not have thought of. Yeah. But prayer is a powerful well, thing to introduce and, into your family. And, and here's great. one other
1: bookend on that statistic. If that doesn't get you on the prayer, another one on prayer, they did a, a large national magazine did a, did a uh a big national poll several years ago, and they asked who's having the most sex and the best sex in America. And it was a lot, and they looked at everybody married, unmarried, mm-hmm. gay, straight, every combination. And when they boiled it all down, they found one group that was having the most sex and the best sex. And I mean, it was a standout. And it was couples who pray together three or four times a week. Hmm. They are crushing it. <laughs> so <clears throat> we'll sometimes share that on a marriage weekend. And guys will sort of suddenly get this vision for prayer. Um, <laughs> right. You kind of go, those are two good stats to go. sort of go a point, <laughs> 0.05 divorce rate and apparently crushing it. Lots of great sex. And you go, prayer's a good thing.
2: That's
1: a good thing. Uh, I highly recommend it. Right. That's, that's right. good. I, I have a feeling you released that
0: statistic. We're going to get a lot more people uh, visiting the prayer page on our, our yes, website. We might have a spike. That's true. I love that. That's so good. Well, we're just about out of time. So in in conclusion, I would I would like to know, what kind of resources are available for, for people, whether you're a couple, whether you're single, wherever you're at in your relationships and you want to go deeper? I know one of them that we've got, we just developed a curriculum online, livingstreams.online. Um, there's a relationships tab there where you can kind of dive deeper. So that's that's one resource we have. I know that you mentioned in your sermon, Don, that you've got some resources on your website too. Uh,
1: yeah, we have it at Um okay. We've got some um, recorded messages, some podcasts, and we have some worksheets awesome. that Uh, are things that couples can download and just sometimes just having a little structure to get into conversations can Mm -hmm. be really helpful so yeah so we have a number of of different resources there
0: awesome Kurt do you have any
1: recommendations I recommend Donna Renee (laughs) okay (laughs) Uh, come see Kurt if 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 if, if after you do our worksheets come see Kurt if you're still working out because he's doing great ministry that's so good well
0: Don, Kurt, I appreciate so much you guys coming down here and doing this podcast with me. Um, Hopefully it's a blessing to those who watch or listen or however they engage in this content. So, yeah, I just want to thank you both. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing. You guys are both amazing, doing incredible work for the kingdom of God.